Welcome to the Compliance Expert Radio Show, your source for the latest information on corporate governance, internal audit, stocks and risk management services, with in-depth interviews, discussions and insights from leading experts. Hosted by Sonia Luna, CEO and founder of Aviva Spectrum. This is the Compliance Expert Radio Show. And now, here is your host, Sonia Luna. Hi, I'm Sonia Luna, CEO of Aviva Spectrum, a financial transformation and compliance consulting firm headquartered in sunny Los Angeles, California. I'm also a speaker and writer on topics like financial close transformation, internal audit, and accounting-related topics. My guest today is Bill Carmody. Bill is the founder of TradePoint, named one of Inc.'s 5,000's fastest-growing companies for two consecutive years. In 20-plus trailblazing years in digital marketing, he built some of the first commercial websites, and was also among the first to create mobile apps for enterprise brands. Bill's main specialty is big data marketing for advanced ROI in social and mobile. He authored the book on online promotions and is a celebrated marketing columnist for Inc. We'll be discussing what the future of social media looks like and what the auditing profession should know about when they take on their audit planning process. Welcome, Bill. Thank you so much, Sonia. I need your introduction. I need like to have that every time I go anywhere. So thank you for that awesome introduction. <laughs> I'm your personal PR person. <laughs> this Love is it. Bill. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell my audience why I'm really excited about this interview because it's it's literally been years. There's a lot of books and auditing right now, but the auditing profession really has been trying to understand what the impact and the risk of social media is. More importantly, what costs it could have when you're basically spending good money, you know, on bad social media marketing plans. I know today our listeners are going to walk away knowing how and why influencer marketing works and how auditors can find the right audit trail. Let's get into it, Bill. I want to take our listeners first to the past, and I mean way, way back in the day. Given your over 22 years in digital marketing, what changes have you seen occur in the last two decades? So it's, I, I, I love that question. So when I first started in 1994, I was building some of the very first commercial websites for AT&T, MasterCard, CBS, and Coors Brewing Company. And um, when we placed the very first banner ad for MasterCard on, on Yahoo, and it was one of the very first banner ads Yahoo ever had, we were getting a 44% click-through rate. Today, the average click-through rate for banner display ads is 0.04%, right? So you can see, like, it's almost a rounding error. It doesn't even count, right? So that's changed dramatically. 90% of Americans ignore digital ads, according to Harris Interactive. Uh, and $7.2 billion is the estimated global losses due to bot fraud. And 40% of ad revenue is lost to websites who are targeting millennials because they are ad blocking. So over the last 22 years, what's happened is there's been a massive amount of sophistication on the consumer side. Consumers don't want to be talked at. They never have, but now they have the power to stop and block advertisers from ramming messages down their throats. And so essentially that transformation over the last 22 years, we've gone from a place where people essentially took their broadcast-based view of marketing 
and just turned it to digital. Right, so in 1994 or mid 90s to early 2000s, it was a lot of brochureware. It was a lot of broadcast-based, like one-directional, you know, um, looking at that way. And now, what's happening is, if you don't engage your customers, if you don't think differently about how you market to them, they'll just straight up block you. So that means your your advertising is basically wasted. So that's why, and we'll get into influence marketing a little more, but that's what I'm such a huge fan of because it really does trend, change the way and the dynamic in which customers and brands are engaging with each other. So, so I, I just walked away with a big aha moment on those figures because the trending in the last two decades really, obviously there's a, a smaller percentage of actual positive reaction to a banner ad. That's, that's the number one major takeaway. And the second yes. is – when we've been auditing, uh, especially the sales cycle as auditors, we, we get a lot of different stories. For example, oh, oh, that receivable for that customer? Yeah, 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 it's collectible. Trust me. You know, you talk to a sales guy and they're like, we're going we're gonna to get paid on that. Don't worry about that, blah, 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 blah. Oh, this plan, exactly. this marketing, it's going to work. It's, I, I, I know it. It's going to happen. I just feel it. And, and this is the reason why our buyers are this, 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 this. And you as an auditor are looking at it going, well, I, I'm not a marketing expert. But the big takeaway here is in the last two decades, if someone's thinking through a banner ad model, okay, one is metrics do matter, okay, and it's got to be uh, something more sophisticated than what's been used in the past. That's a big takeaway. And number two for the auditing mm-hmm. profession, I would say, is that metrics are out there, so and they're, and they're actually going down. So if there's not an, a, an additional plan beyond the banner ad that you can sink your teeth in and audit, that's a major red flag for the auditing. Like we're wasting money on this particular uh, well, marketing and, program. And just to respond to that too, I mean, one of the things that's fascinating to me is that you know when banner ads were getting forty-four percent click-through rates, they made all the sense in the world, right? It was a great. I mean, that was better than direct mail. That was better than most actual you know marketing platforms. So it was crushing it. But when you get to a point where you're looking at sort of fighting like a 0.04% click-through rate and you start to say like, well, but we can do it through programmatic means and we've got all these great technologies to serve up these ineffective units, your question is, I don't care how efficient it is if it's still ineffective. And so for me, part of what I look at from a compliance perspective, and, and thank you for continuing to sort of drill that home, if you look at sort of what are you doing with your advertising dollars, your ultimate outcome is I'm either trying to build my brand right, so that people are discovering me for the first time, or ultimately I'm trying to move them through the customer journey where they go from discovery to engagement to transaction and then advocacy. And in looking at that path, what you're finding is, is that if they aren't discovering you, how are they going to engage with you? If they're not engaging with you, how can they transact with you, right? And so there's this natural challenge of if you're wasting your dollars at the top of the funnel, right, from a banner ad perspective, then how can you possibly expect it to translate through to the sales and ultimately the advocacy that you need to be successful in marketing today? Right, right. It's it's walking through that journey, like you said, getting either – Understand the main objective, which auditors are supposed to find out the audit objective to begin with, and more importantly on the sales and marketing cycle is, well, what is the main goal here? Is it just to get the branding out there, or more importantly, like like you stated earlier, getting the the customer or that prospective customer through that journey to get to know the company and build that trust factor? Now, I want to just switch gears on our compliance audience. Okay, so given our compliance audience on our show, what are third-party reports that compliance experts can really rely on the data they've been given? 
So that's a great question. And I'll tell you, there are industry reports and then there are specific campaign level reports. And so the reason I make that distinction is, is because you can subscribe to Gartner, Forrester, you know, any of these research services that will help give you some trends. I mean, even eMarketer, right? So there's lots of them out there. They are really good at telling you sort of industry level specifics. You know, if you're looking to benchmark your campaigns, then it's no secret. Go, go onto Google and say, I'm looking for what is the average click-through rate of a banner campaign. It's that simple, right? And what you're going to get is reports from Harris Interactive, DoubleClick, um, Forrester, Gartner, you know, any of those. That part is going to help you with context, right? So you want to be able to say, okay, this is what my baseline should be because this, for others in the industry that are similar to me, this is what I need to be looking at, right? But then you want to go one step further because what you really want to be looking at is how is my – what are the, the sort of third-party reports I can use on my own campaigns? And when, when we talk a little bit about, you know, sort of these types of initiatives, you're looking at now things like Nielsen and IRI data that are tracking transactional data, right, and to be able to see third parties that are continually looking at what kind of transaction process we're getting, and then being able to map it back. I mean, even simple things like if you're doing e-commerce, you know, you, know, you can trust Google Analytics to tell you where your, your pages are being abandoned, where, the, you know, where things are sort of being dropped out. But if you want to get really deep, you know, you want to go to uh, an Omniture, you want to basically look at um, Adobe Test and Target. These are platforms that will help you get really rich, concrete data around what kind of in, you know, what's happening with your campaigns because you need both. You need to know what's happening today right now on the marketing that you're spending your dollars on, and then you also need to know how that compares to your peers in the industry, right? So what are other people that are in my industry? How are they performing? And am I, am I about the same? Am I better? Am I worse? And you need to be able to, to see that so you can see how you optimize your campaigns. So really the auditing profession should know that there's the macro set of reports, meaning the industry and the That's trending right. regarding that, and then the, the micro, which is, okay, now let's get the devils in the details. <laughs> let's figure out what on a particular type of campaign for a certain industry size, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I want to switch gears about your passion because it's very evident for me in your voice. So why are you so passionate about this concept of influencer marketing? Right. Well, so, so I think based on all the statistics of you seeing the declining state of digital marketing, I think the key takeaway is, is that we as marketers don't control the customer journey. We may never have, but for sure we don't do it today, right? And that customers still want to hear the story of the brand or the marketer. They just don't want to hear directly from the brand or the marketer. Right? So PricewaterhouseCoopers came out with a study that said 62% of people trust brands less, that Forrester says 32% trust strangers more than they do brands, and there was a meaningful brand study where they said 73% wouldn't even care if brands disappeared. Right? So that's the state we're dealing with. What we find is today you just can't generate enough of the right content that is interesting to your customers fast enough and then speak with that authentic customer voice or create that real continuous conversation that ties back to sales and revenue. Because that's ultimately what it comes down to. When so many people struggle with social media marketing, it's because they're, they're measuring the wrong things. 
I mean, one of the things that we specifically called out last year was we put out a, 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 a ebook called the ROI of social and how do you measure what matters? Because 88% of marketers at that time last year want to measure the ROI of social media, but they don't know how. And so essentially what we did is we said, look, here's the reason why it's like Moneyball. You're measuring the wrong things. You're, you're obsessing with impressions and, and likes, you know, and, and all of the things that you are uh, been trained from Facebook and Twitter to pay attention to, but you're not working backwards from the sales process. And so why I'm super passionate about influencer marketing is because this is the authentic content that your customers actually want. It is not written by you as the brand or the marketer. You're not the one pushing your content into the marketplace. What you're doing instead is you're finding influencers, and these are not celebrities. Let me just make sure that that's clear. I'm not talking about Kim Kardashian. I'm not talking about like, you know, these, these mega celebrities who out there have large followings. I'm talking about very specific individuals who have built an audience that is exactly who you're trying to market to. And these are sort of what we can call micro-influencers or they're groups that might have anywhere between, you know, several tens of thousands of, of, of engaged, you know, customers to millions, right? But it's, it's typically in that range so that you can give a message to that audience, to the, those influencers, and then what they do is they take what you're trying to say to your, to your ideal customer prospects and they say it in their own language. So it's real. It's authentic. And they are disclosing the fact that this is a paid campaign. So they're not trying to dupe anyone. But they're saying, look, I took this brand on because I believe in what they're doing. Right? And so that authenticity comes through with the actual influencers. And so your brand gets the halo effect of those influencers talking authentic, the content that you've asked them to put together for you. And it's coming out in their voice, not yours, which means their audience sees it as very much this is authentic to the influencer. And it's not just a banner ad on the side, which is trying to interrupt you from engaging with that influencer. Instead, this is actually the influencer saying, here's what this is all about. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I think that that's a critical point for the compliance and auditing profession is, when we look at marketing plans, we're just taking it for granted that the sales executive really knows what they're talking about and asking right. the right questions of, well, why are you doing it this way? Why, how much? Why are you spending so many, um, uh, so much on banner ads? Tell me, I, just even inviting the question of, so tell me, how do you view influencer marketing? How, how do you view that? Right, and what would be the main objective with that influencer marketing for for the company that the auditing professional works works for? It's getting the dialogue. It doesn't mean that we're going to be experts. It just means, hey, I want to talk your language. Here are some, some things that I'm, uh, concepts I understand. Now walk me through the journey of what kind of critical reports you're going to be leveraging. At least from this interview, I know that, that our mm-hmm. audience is going to know that there's really two tiers of reports. There is such a thing as influencer marketing and inviting the question of what would be the goal and, and the main objectives trying to be achieved with influencer marketing for that particular campaign. And more importantly, I see this uh, just even from my own experience uh, looking, uh, researching things on YouTube because it, it's such a wealth of information. I notice that when I'm looking for something in particular, whether that's Excel or Microsoft Office products, better tips and tricks, I get the the best influencers have the right banner ads right in front. And, and it makes me want to think through. Now, I don't do it 100% of the time. Think through, huh, this is something relevant to the thing that I'm researching by a channel that I trust, 
right? And it, it's not the Microsoft executive or Microsoft platform doing it. It's somebody else. So mm-hmm. it makes me trust that uh, venue or that channel more. Um, and more importantly, if, if I just hang out with my friends talking about influencer marketing, when I know someone's been knee-deep in a particular industry, let's say home building, et cetera, and I find out what kind of ERP package that they're working on, and I ask them, well, what, what do you like most about it? What, what, do you, what do you not like about it? And getting some of the details, then when I move on to, let's say, a ne- the next home builder type cl- client, I ask them what ERP, and then I, I'm able to compare and contrast, but my, my point is this. If I were to ever to take another job, uh, and, and let's say I move into a home building uh, type of organization, the first people I'm going to start talking to are the ones that I knew in these industries using certain accounting packages because they've already been through it. I don't, I don't want to reinvent the wheel. I really don't. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just too much time and effort. So I do think it's a mega trend that I think our audience is taking away that influencer marketing is here to stay. The question is, how is your company leveraging it in their social media marketing plan and, and the execution? Now, I want to move into a different uh, – series of questions about content because I, I think, sure. you know, YouTube puts out a lot. We just heard that Vine is going away, but that mm-hmm. doesn't mean content doesn't get created. Why does content marketing appear to be growing so fast? Because it's the last place where marketing is still effective digitally. So let me, let me say that again. Content marketing is the last place where it is effectively engaging customers and driving sales. And the reason I say that is, is because while banner ads are on the race to the bottom, I mean, they're actually hitting, you know, less than a you know, fraction of a percent of effectiveness, 0.04%. You know, when you see those types of trends and you see people who are very sophisticated with ad blocking and everything else, content still breaks through. And when I say that is, is because when people are looking for answers, they are less concerned about where those answers are coming from as long as they're credible. And say like that, when you go to Google, you're saying, hey, I have a question, I want an answer. If a brand has a good answer to the question you're asking, then you're going to take notice and you're going to watch it, you're going to read it, you're going to participate, you're going to engage with it, right? Same thing on your social channels. If you're actively looking for answers and, you're, and your, your friends are pointing you to a resource that's built by a brand that says, hey, I know you're asking about this thing. These guys seem to know what they're doing. You should go check them out. Content marketing is this entire platform whereby you're building your credibility before anybody ever works with you. So 80%, this is, and again, I, I wish I, I can't remember the source. There's been so many studies out there <laughs> just coming across my desk. I can't keep them all straight sometimes. But what, one of the things that I saw was 80% of today's business decisions, you know, to buy something from someone, 80% of that decision is researched online and decisions are already made 80% before they actually contact a brand. So if you're in the B2B space, business to business space, right, you're, before you actually reach out and talk to a salesperson, you've already done all your homework. You already know exactly what you want, and now you're just looking for someone to help you sort of answer a few last-minute questions and then close the deal, right? So if 80% of your research is being done online, and that's before you talk to a human, right, it's completely changed the way people buy. 
And so from a content marketing perspective, you know, you're looking for answers. And if the content is strategically written, and I don't mean, so let me be clear about that. This is not chest beating exercises. I'm awesome. Look how awesome I am. You know, if you're using the word I and we, then you don't get content marketing. Content is about you. It's about understanding exactly what your audience is looking for. You need this. This is how you can find the answers to these questions. You know what I mean? As more as you sort of make, make these statements about the audience that is trying to find answers to a specific question, that's powerful content marketing. And it's completely growing right now in the marketing space because great content engages your audience and helps move them through the buyer's journey because you discover the content that content then moves you towards some form of engagement, either with your peers or with the brand itself. Those engagements lead to transactions with the brand. And then ultimately, if you've had a great experience with that content marketing all the way through to transaction, you become an advocate, which is the most powerful part of this story, right? Because you don't want just customers that you can churn out. Brands and companies need customers that get them more customers, and that's what advocacy is. And advocacy comes from intelligent, educated customers who've gone through that buyer's journey. Yeah, that's an incredible point about not content. It's not content to, like you said earlier, you know, beat my chest, I'm so great. It's about walking them through the process of getting through a problem. You need to do this to solve this problem because that's what we're trying that's to right. find when we're trying to find great content. Okay, great content is going to show me a solution in a layman's term, quick and easy, without saying I'm the best at it. You just say, Here, here's a, a typical problem, here's how to solve it, and here are some tips and tricks to learn along the way. And uh, you're like me, there's so many studies out there, but so 80%, yeah. 70% of that. But it's still a huge percentage, I would say, that people have already made up their mind. They just need that extra nudge of trust or that extra nudge of information to say, okay, I'm going to – I got this great information. It solved some of my problems. Now I have a bigger problem. I just don't have the time to solve it. I want you to solve it for me. And they just need another person to just kind of the, – the sales executive to kind of walk them through that and you know, just reassure them that everything that they saw in that content – is exactly what they're going to get in terms of quality of service or quality of product that they wanted to buy. Now, Bill, in your expert opinion, kind of switching gears on, on you know, content marketing, um, let's talk about people who are doing it right. Okay, so who do you think is doing content marketing right? And more importantly, why do you think that they're doing it right? So, one of my favorite guys out there in the industry is Jay Bear. He's a peer of mine. I love him. I did an interview with him on Inc. Magazine not too long ago. Um, huge, huge fan. And what I love about, you know, I asked him the exact same question because I see it all the time in the industry, and I can share with you all kinds of examples. But the one that I love the most is actually one I have to give credit to Jay Bear for coming and bringing it to my attention because he, he knows the story, and I'm just relaying his story, which I love, which is river pools and spas. So if you go, it's riverpoolsandspas.com. And in 2008, these guys were going out of business. These guys are out of Virginia. And it turns out that in two, if you cannot afford to pay your mortgage, the likelihood of you getting an in-ground pool is zero. Right? So, so here's their entire market of they sell in-ground pools. And their entire market is completely gone because everybody is dealing with the mortgage crisis. And so 
what did they do? They said, well, you know, we have all these questions that people ask us about in-ground pools. What if we just put together every answer we've ever been to any question we've ever been asked? And so they wrote over the course of a couple months, 300 blog posts about in-ground pools. And, and here's the thing. When they started tracking and measuring the number of blog posts people read before contacting them, right, it was 100. The average consumer, before they ever contact river pools and spas, reads 100 pages of their website. Most websites don't even have 100 pages. These guys, because of their content, 100 pages of content before they're even being asked to give a quote. And the reason I love this example the best, because there's lots of other examples I can give you. There's a lot of great companies out there doing a lot of great things. This one is because an in-ground pool seems like a mundane purchase behavior, right? Even though it's an expensive, you know, ten dollars to $20,000, depending on sort of where you live and what you're, what you're getting, the fact is they have written now since that time a 1,000 blog posts, and they're still averaging over 100 that people are reading on a regular basis before they actually make – they can make a phone call. And if you could think about that, you, you say, well, you know, if, if these guys can write over a thousand blog posts about in-ground pools, then my business is way more complex, right? So I look at like TradePoint as, as my, 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 uh, my agency. And, you know, what's, what's fascinating is there's like all these things about influencer marketing, about digital banner ads, all the things we've talked about today. You know, I can write so much, and I have been writing so much content about this. And that's what's crazy is, is that, when you see a company like River Pools and Spas completely transform their business, they're now number one in the category, by the way. So they've gone from almost going out of business in 2008 to the top of their category, leveraging content marketing. That's sort of the rags to riches story that I think everybody wants to hear. And the thing about it is, is that there's so many insights you can pull, draw from that because most people's businesses are just so much more complicated than an in-ground pool. And yet they only write, Three, five, ten. How many? How many blog posts do people write before they give up? Not, not enough, because most people just sort of touch the surface at a very high level. These guys went deep, and so if you go to RiverPoolsAndSpas.com and you look at that, they have a learning center, and they have their little link called Most Popular Questions, and you can go and sort of categorize every aspect of a pool you'd ever want to know. And if you think about it from that perspective, you know, as I think about your audience, it's how can you help? your company, the companies that, these, that everyone's representing really get and understand content marketing and how it will dramatically drive your business, not just today, but for the foreseeable future. Wow. That, that's a really good takeaway. I think for our audience that um, I, I like that the fact that they not only went to a specific category, right. For, that they know they, they actually did some brainstorming, right. So it was collaborative and then they yep. went deep, right. So let's take, how big should I have my pool, right? Well, That's right. That, that one question, I can think of maybe five categories, right? Well, it depends what state because they're regulated. So deal with regulations, boom, that could be its own category. You can think about the depth, right, and the purpose. of. So if you're using it for sports, uh, training, you know, the size might matter. You follow what I mean? There's so many different ways Absolutely. you can categorize it. And then, and then within that, within that, I, you can come up with, okay, what do we need as a mini blog for this one one of the five categories, a mini blog? I want five or 10 right. or 20. You follow? And the content starts creating it. And then by the time the search engines work, and forgive me if I'm, I'm kind of uh, overstepping my knowledge here, but they're like, wait a minute. This, 
this blog actually has the answer to this very, very specific question. That's if right. I want a sports-related, you know, what size of pool should I get, you know? So it's like, well, wait a minute. The thing. These guys thought about it. What's, what's the number one question you want to answer when looking at in-ground pools? The number one question is, how much do in-ground pools cost, right? And so front and center, that's the first thing you see in their learning center, and it's categorized by most popular. But here's the thing. It's not an easy answer. Just like most B2B companies, they don't have like a, oh, well, it's exactly this amount. So they say they, they're going to give you a specific quote, but before they do, they're educating you. It's like, there's a few things to consider. There's the initial purchase price of the pool, and then there's a lifetime ownership cost, which you don't really think about when you're buying it, but they sort of show you the difference between concrete and fiberglass and vital liners, and they do a direct head-to-head -head comparison. What's your initial out-of-pocket? What's your lifetime value? Hell, most people don't even think about that, right? Most people have never considered, oh, my God, it's going to be so much more expensive to get a concrete pool, not because of the initial cost, but because of all the chemical usage and electricity usage and all these things, cleaning services that are way more expensive than sort of a fiberglass pool. So just knowing that up front, I may still go with the concrete one, but now I at least know what I'm in for, right? And so, like, they, then you look at all these other pieces. So my point is, even just a simple question, like how much does your service cost? If you try to dodge the question, nobody's going to want to do business with you. But you also know that it's complicated because you don't have a straight-up answer most of the time. Most businesses don't say, well, it's exactly this amount. So you have to then educate your customer about here are the factors. And by the way, we're not just thinking about your first initial question about how much it costs, but what is the lifetime value of what you're going to get based on it? Because then what you can do is compare cheaper alternatives and say, it's actually more expensive because you have to replace it this many times or you have to do this update or it's not service. Like, you know, thinking about sort of, um, you know, open source, you know, versus paid uh, software content, right? Licensing software. You know, you have to think about, well, who can actually update the software once I, once I, once I launch it? You know, things like that that most people are saying, well, it's cheaper because it's open source and I have to pay a licensing fee. Yeah, initially. Right? But here's the lifetime value, and are you willing to pay the bounty with hiring you know, these other people to support this product? So I'm, just, I'm using that as an example because it's really powerful to understand how these things come together. And, yeah, no, and I think that the um, advantage of, of having that knowledge, if you're a compliance and auditing professional, that, hey, just, just updating the website once a month is not enough. It's, it's yeah. not for that main marketing object, objective. Um, and it's really asking those point, those, those you know, really good questions of like, well, okay, if, if the marketing leader and sales leaders believe that that is enough, who are you benchmarking yourself against? Like you just gave a great example of somebody who's just crushing it, right? And they almost went out of business, but they turned it around, right? They, they figured like, no, we're really going to get this so that any customer that wants to do business with us knows exactly what they're in for, right? And they're going to yes. trust us because we're laying it all out, and price is a big factor of a pool. And That's right. so if it's a, even, if, even if it's for services, people want to know. We were um, in our firm, we have an accounting uh, service line, and I was working with one of our associates. I'm like, what's the real cost per transaction for bookkeeping, for, per transaction? We have a bunch of credit cards. We have um, checks uh, coming in and out, right, deposits. That, that's a transaction that you have to record. Um, but what else? There's payroll transactions. Okay, well, what, what would five employees look like? Boom, 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 and we did it. And we were coming up with a trans bookkeeping transaction cost number that I don't think a business owner really takes into account. And what we want to prove is, that's right. well, how much is worth your time? 
Okay, you do it. You're a business owner. You're a CEO. I'm sure you are very, very smart. I'm sure you can do bookkeeping. You just have to slot the number in a category, right? But the question is, what's the value of your time to get a customer to be billable, to open a relationship with a partner or a vendor? That's the critical, you know, tipping point, if you will. So um, I, I hear your point on, on that best practice, and I, I hope our compliance uh, professionals take that to heart. Well, Bill, we are wrapping up this interview. I had so much fun. I'm confident our listeners gained significant insight on what to consider and measure when they review their organization's social media marketing efforts. Thank you, Bill, for coming on our radio show. I am so pleased. And Sonia, just let me leave you with one last thing. I know that if the audience wants to go a step further, I would invite them to come. We have a monthly webinar, Fluencer-Marketing. It's just a great free resource that they can go to if they want to learn more about this subject. Because if you've gotten their appetites wet and they want to learn more, it's a great place to go to figure that stuff out. So thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Where can they get your book, by the way? Let's also talk about that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, BillCarmody.com. They can just go directly to my website. I'm giving away for free. My only request is that they pay for shipping. And it's just because I don't want to have – I don't want the, the free book to cost me money. <laughs> so as a good compliance person, I'm saying just pay for shipping. It's 5 bucks, and I will ship the book to anywhere you know, within the United States. And if it's international, we can work something out too. That's, a, that's an awesome offer, Bill. Thank you for offering that to our listeners. Well, this is Sonia Luna, CEO and founder of Aviva Spectrum, signing off. Thank you.